Chapter 18 Restoration From Ex Nihilo to Out of the Wilderness So what is the significance of this shift in language from a church that is newly established to one that is shepherded back from the wilderness? To say that one will bring something out of exile, be it a scattered Israel or the Lord's church, is simultaneously to say two things. First, that the entity was never entirely lost in the first place, only dispersed and broken. And second, that the process of restoration means to gather, assemble, and recontextualize gospel truths in light of that original master blueprint. Joseph quickly came to recognize that, like the ruins of an ancient temple, beautiful remnants of the original church lay all about them, broken, rent, and disjointed, as scattered fragments of Mormonism. Therefore, when Joseph found these scattered fragments, whether he found them in the philosopher Thomas Dick, the commentator Adam Clark, or the universalist theologian John Taylor, he placed them into the larger framework of Restoration teachings. And he taught the saints to do likewise. If the Presbyterians have any truth, embrace that. If the Baptists and Methodists have truth, embrace that too. Get all the good in the world if you want to come out a pure Mormon. Suddenly, we are all tasked and empowered with rediscovering the lost treasures of our Christian heritage that were sidelined, ignored, or often explicitly condemned. The more we look appreciatively upon the past, the more we discover that virtually every element of the great story, the plan of happiness, survived in some corner of the world, in some neglected treatise or mystic's visionary work, a preacher's homilies, or the insights of a heretic. Our pre-mortal lives were affirmed by the ancient Origen and the young Augustine. They were written about beautifully and prolifically by the pure-souled Thomas Traherne. He wrote, How like an angel came I down, and was stoutly defended, at the cost of his career, by the little-known but deeply inspired Edward Beecher. Mortality as a planned ascent into the educative crucible of trial by existence was clearly taught by the second-century church father Irenaeus. God organized all things from the beginning, for the bringing of man to perfection, for his edification, that man might finally be brought to maturity at some future time. As Joseph would, John Wesley taught that heaven was to consist largely of the sociability that we foster here in community, which was the grand reason why God is pleased to assist men by men, rather than immediately by himself, to endear us to each other by these mutual good offices in order to increase our happiness both in time and eternity. God's ultimate designs for the human family, taught Origen, are to impart deification to others who are transformed through him into gods as images of the prototype. Regarding those not fortunate enough to embrace the gospel here, Origen understood spirit prison and the evangelization of the dead almost two millennia before Joseph F. Smith's recovery of that truth. Origen wrote, I think that all the saints who depart from this life will remain in some place situated on the earth 
which Holy Scripture calls paradise, as in some place of instruction and, so to speak, classroom or school of souls. Tertullian broke with the early church when he chose to defend belief in the continuation of gifts of prophecy and revelation. George MacDonald had no patience with the constraints of narrow orthodoxy implied by a closed canon. A thousand questions will arise to which the Bible does not even allude. Sad, indeed, would the whole matter be if the Bible told us everything God meant us to believe. What a remarkable endorsement of continuing revelation. As a people, we have just begun to sift the Christian past for survivals of the original deposit of faith, not to corroborate or defend our claims, but to enrich, expand, and shape our own devotion and knowledge. Many church members have imagined the so-called apostasy to be a time of total darkness, total absence of God's light and truth from the earth. It would be more generous to our fellow Christians, as well as more accurate to Joseph Smith's understanding, to see that term as a loss of the story's essential plot. Originally, the narrative went like this. Our lives are traceable to a pre-mortal sphere in which God the Eternal Father and God the Eternal Mother invited us, spirit beings, into eternal relationship with themselves. Rather than creating humans for their own glory, God chose to nurture these souls along a path of mortal education so that all women and men might have joy. It is at this moment, before the earth is created or the first person formed, that grace, God's freely given offering of love, erupts into the universe. On the one hand, this grace is manifest in God's vulnerable exposure as nurturing parents, co-suffering in their children's travails and pains along their way to exaltation. On the other, this grace is manifest in that willingness of the only begotten, Jesus Christ, to consecrate his life, his death, and his still continuing efforts to heal us, nurture us, and bring us home. With these gracious resources, and by our deliberate choice, we embarked upon a course of guided transformation into holier beings committed to building holy community, Zion. As our hearts are educated and tutored by the Holy Spirit, we bring ourselves into conformity with the divine nature and anticipate a reunion as part of a heavenly, eternal family. The main features of that story evaporate under the influence of Augustine, and new alien narratives are established by Luther and Calvin. Apostasy might best be characterized as the loss of that framing context in light of which the various characters and themes in the story fit together and make sense. As for restoration, as a people we have tended to see a process of simple replacement of error with truth. A preferable reading would be to understand restoration as beginning with the recuperation of that original everlasting covenant established in pre-mortal worlds, which endows our lives with their true origin, purpose, and destiny as children of heavenly parents. The ongoing work of restoration consists in the continued work of searching out, celebrating, and recontextualizing treasures 
new and old. In the economy of heaven, we do not need to sow and reap, where some of the crop already lies abroad in the land, long ready to harvest.